Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From high atop the Jack Jack Memorial Reading Throne here in the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library... Within the wilds of Connecticut, this is Obscure, the podcast in which I read Jude the Obscure out loud and comment on it as I go. I am your friend, your boon companion, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Victorianologist, Michael Ian Black. It is a joy, as always, to undertake this journey with you. We're galloping towards the end here of the book. It's a wedding day. Jude and Arabella are to be united once again in wedded bliss. And we know just how blissful they were in the previous incarnation of their marriage, a marriage remembered best for the moment of executing a pig in the mud. That is what they are returning themselves to through the machinations of the slippery Arabella. She has gotten her betrothed into a drunken stupor. She has extracted promises from him he has no interest in keeping. And yet... As he says right before they leave, if I am bound in honor to marry her as I suppose I am, so help me God, I have never behaved dishonorably to a woman or to any living thing. I am not a man who wants to save himself at the expense of the weaker among us. And there is, of course, a delicious irony in describing himself as stronger than Arabella, because who has a stronger will than 
Arabella Dawn. Who, among any of the characters in Jude the Obscure, has pursued her own self-interest with more vigor than that little tramp Arabella. She has spent a lifetime at this point conniving and cajoling, wheedling and dealing, and now she has wheedled for her old husband to return to her again in his moment of greatest despairs, well, maybe second greatest moment of despairs. After all, there was a murder-suicide involving his own children. But Jude is both in a kind of blackness and still in his cups, and he has agreed to leave the bacchanal celebration that is going on in Arabella's home to accompany her to the little church and remarry. Arabella, upon leaving, says, Don't go. I've told the little maid to get the breakfast while we are gone. And when we come back, we'll all have some. She's saying this to all the drunken louts and slobs splayed across her good furniture at the pork shop. A good strong cup of tea will set everybody right for going home. Well, what does it mean to go home in this context? Yeah, she's going to kick them all out when she returns with her husband. But who's going where, really? Who's going home? Well, there's the poetical going home, which can, of course, be a foreshadowing of death. There is the literal home that they will be returning to, which is the pork shop. There is the home of marriage, the marital hearth upon which they will be treading again. There's a lot of homes that they will be going to, and I suspect a good strong cup of tea isn't going to make any of them any more palatable. It's all going to be shit. So we resume where we left off. When Arabella Jude and Dawn, that's her father, had disappeared on their matrimonial errand, which is a lovely way of phrasing it, isn't it? A matrimonial errand. I don't know if you've ever picked, I don't know, I don't know if you've ever gotten married, listener. But to describe the modern wedding industry with the dismissive errand would be to do a disservice to a multi-billion dollar Ponzi scheme. Well, it's not a Ponzi scheme. Let's just call it a scam where young couples and even older, I suppose, are encouraged to invest tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars into their day of matrimony, their wedding day. Go to any supermarket, pick up The Knot or pick up Brides Magazine and just see the array of options you have, the ways that they extract money from you on your wedding day. It is criminal and stupid because the wedding day, uh, as celebratory as it is, and it, and it should be celebratory, is just, what is it in relationship to a marriage? It is almost nothing in relationship to a marriage. The wedding day is almost irrelevant to the marriage, other than the fact that it is the day when you sign a piece of paper attesting to your new state 
as wife and husband. It is, uh, it is a, a Saturnalia. I don't know if I'm using the word Saturnalia, right? But it sprang to mind. And oftentimes when words spring to mind, whether I'm using them correctly or not, I'll just use them because I like the way they sound. It is a Saturnalia, which I think of as a kind of party, right? I'm going to, oh, God damn it. Now I have to look it up. Dun, 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 dun. Interstitial music will play as I look up Saturnalia definition. Uh, the ancient Roman festival of Saturn in December, period of general merrymaking, and the predecessor of Christmas. So I'm not entirely far off. So it's a party, uh, uh, and it is and it is celebrating a birth. It is the birth of a marriage. So you know, fine. I used it as well as I'm going to use it. And how often do you get to use the word Saturnalia anyway? Not very often. So it's a Saturnalia celebrating the birth of a marriage, but all in all, you get done, you know, you eat your food, you, 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 you do the chicken dance, you put the thing on the lady's leg and maybe you toss some flowers and, you know, some idiot catches them and thinks, oh, I'm going to get married next. And then you think, well, good luck to that, honey. And, you know, you go through all the rituals and at the end of it, you wake up married the next day and you go, well, now what? And it's the now what? That really marks the beginning of a marriage. So they've gone on their uh, matrimonial errands when they'd gone. The assembled guests yawned themselves wider awake and discussed the situation with great interest. Tinker Taylor, being the most sober, reasoned the most lucidly. I don't wish to speak against friends, he said. But it do seem a rare curiosity for a couple to marry over again. If they couldn't get on the first time when their minds were limp, they won't the second, by my reckoning. Do you think he'll do it? Well, he's been put upon his honor by the woman, so he med. He'd hardly do it straight off like this. He's got no license nor anything. She's got that, bless you. Didn't you hear her say so to her father? Well, said Tinker Taylor, relighting his pipe at the gas jet, take her all together, limb by limb. She's not such a bad-looking piece, particular by candlelight. To be sure, halfpence that have been in circulation can't be expected to look like new ones from the mint. But for all that's quite, quite a little statement, you know, you look, you put her up against a candle. She doesn't look so bad, right? You know, chick's been around the block a few times. You know, she can't be expected to look great. You know, you know she's been chewed up and spit out a few times. But she can still pinch those little dimples of hers and make her, ro- her face a little rosy red. And what are you going to do? You know, she's not so bad looking. You know, get me drunk enough, I might. But for a woman that's been knocking about the four hemispheres for some time, she's passable enough. A little bit thick in the flitch, perhaps. 
<laughs> a little bit thick in the flitch. I don't need to know what the flitch is, and I, I don't care. I just like the phrase so much, I may adopt it for everyday use myself. Oh, you're looking a little bit thick in the flitch. And nobody could possibly be insulted because nobody knows what that means. Maybe big-bottomed big or something? I don't know what the flitch would be. But I like a woman that a puff of wind won't blow down. <laughs> so, you know, Tinker Taylor's putting a very positive spin on the whole thing. He's saying, well, I don't know what he's doing. I, yeah, I don't think it's going to work out. This doesn't seem like the best course of action for either of them. I mean, and look at her, you know, she's, she's a bit thick in the flitch. But uh, and I should note that Thomas Hardy does spell thick in the modern T-H-I-C-C. That's not true at all. But the meaning, the intent is the same. And Tinker's saying, and besides, I like a woman where a little gust of wind isn't going to knock her over. A big, tough broad with shoulders and a flitch. That's what I like in a woman. He's been drinking her booze for four days or two days or whatever. Can't hardly disparage her. But they are talking about it with some interest. They don't understand what's going on. Is this a good idea? Is it not a good idea? You and I, reader, know it's not a good idea. Of course, it's not a good idea. Terrible, terrible idea. For all concerned, their eyes followed the movements of the little girl as she spread the breakfast cloth on the table they had been using without wiping up the slops of the liquor. The curtains were undrawn and the expression of the house made to look like mourning. Some of the guests, however, fell asleep in the chairs. One or two went to the door and gazed along the street more than once. Tinker Taylor was the chief of these, and after a time he came in with a leer on his face. By God, they are coming. I think the deed's done. No, said Uncle Joe, following him in. Take my word, he turned rusty at the last minute. They're walking in a very unusual way, and that's the meaning of it. Well, I mean, listeners, what do you think happened? You know, there's been a bunch of weddings in this uh, in this book here that we're reading, and Hardy never dawdles over them because, of course, these are errands that people run of the matrimonial kind. He doesn't spend a lot of time, as they might in a modern novel, because of the billion-dollar wedding scam industry. That you might even make a whole movie about a wedding. Muriel's wedding springs to mind. Uh, four weddings and a funeral spring to mind. You know... Forgive me, I'm yawning because I, like the guests at Arabella's, have just awoken from a slumber mine, not drunken, however, uh, merely the normal overnight slumber. It's early here in the wilds of Connecticut. The sun barely risen. Uh, maybe I need a strong tea break. Back for a moment. Hi, I'm back. We're just trying to figure out now if Jude and Arabella got married here. So what do you think happened? Do you think they did or they didn't? Text 9011 if you think they did and 9012 if you think they didn't. Standard 
text message fees may apply. Every time you text, I get uh, 95 cents in my pocket. So when you text 9011 for yes, 9012 for no, you know, I'm just making money hand over fist. But let's be honest, that's why you do a podcast to to make money hand over fist. And of course, uh, there's you can't really text that. I just made that up. And it was very funny that I did that. I will tell you what's funny and what is not. And that was very funny. So they're coming down the lane. Everybody's wondering, did they do it? Did they do it? Did they not do it? What's going on? They're walking in a very unusual way. And it's spelled O-N-U-S-U-A-L. As Hardy has a way of purposely misspelling words to reflect the dialect. And we like that. It helps us read it out loud. So they waited in silence till the wedding party could be heard entering the house. First into the room came Arabella boisterously, and her face was enough to show that her strategy had succeeded. So all of you who texted 9011, you will be rewarded by going to the next round. And eventually one of you will win $1 million. So uh, her strategy had succeeded. Mrs. Folly, I presume, said Tinker Taylor with mock courtesy. Certainly, Mrs. Folly again, replied Arabella blandly, pulling off her glove and holding out her left hand. There's the padlock, see? Well, he was a very... The padlock, Jesus. Her ring. God, she's she's awful. Uh, there's the padlock, see? <laughs> what a horror show she is. Oh, and that, and he's been chained at the ankle to it. So, yes, Mrs. Folly, you may say. I'm just, ex- I'm uh, improvising. That is not in the book. Yes, Mrs. Folly, you may say. Come, uh, come on in there, Jude. Come on in. Get to work cleaning out the hogs. She's not saying any of that. That's just me. So, but back to the book. There's the padlock, see? Well, he was a very nice, gentlemanly man indeed. I mean, the clergyman. He said to me, as gentle as a babe when all was done, Mrs. Folly, I congratulate you heartily, he says, for having heard your history and that of your husband. I think you both have done the right and proper thing. And for your past errors as a wife and his as a husband... I think you ought now to be forgiven by the world as you have forgiven each other, said he. Yes, he was very nice, gentlemanly man. The church don't recognize divorce in her dogma, strictly speaking, he... Oh, wait, who? He says, oh, uh, she's still she's still quoting the pastor. The church don't recognize divorce in her dogma, strictly speaking, he says. And bear in mind the words of the service in your goings out and your comings in. With what, ga- what God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Yes, he was a very nice, gentlemanly man. 
But Jude, my dear, you were enough to make a cat laugh. You walked that straight and held yourself that steady that one would have thought you were going prentice to a judge, though I knew you were seeing double all the time from the way you fumbled with my finger. (laughs) So, you know, she's saying you were still drunk as shit. I dragged you in there. I made you marry me and uh, and compliments to you for hiding your booziness so well. Ugh. I said I'd do anything to save a woman's honor, muttered Jude, and I've done it. <laughs> yeah, you've done anything, haven't you? You poor slob. You poor sad man. Well, now, old dearie, come along and have some breakfast. I want some more whiskey, said Jude stolidly. Nonsense, dear, not now. There's no more left. The tea will take the muddle out of our heads, and we shall be as fresh as larks. All right. I've married you. She said I ought to marry you again, and I have straight away. It is true religion. <laughs> and it does, in fact, end with ha dash ha dash ha. I added a few ha's there at the end to show the acrimony in his voice. Jude now has decided, I guess, to just stay drunk, right? I did what I did. And the only way I'm going to get through this is to just stay drunk. Maybe that's where Jude ends up, you know, just just a lout in the streets. Another broken, drunken Brit wandering around the cobblestone streets, waving his stovepipe hat at all the passing ladies, saying, Good day to you, miss. Good day. Have you a hay shilling for a man in need of a little whistle-wetting? That could be Jude, you know? The chapter just ended. This is the end of chapter uh, seven. We're about to go to chapter eight. Maybe chapter eight begins with Jude in the streets, newspapers tied to his feet for shoes, panhandling in the cobblestone streets for a hay penny. I guess there's no, I don't know if there's such a thing as a hay shilling, but a hay penny to whet his whistle. We shall see in just a minute on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back on Obscure, ready to start Chapter 8. Michael Mass came and passed, and that's a holiday, right? We all know that. I mean, I don't know that. I got to look up what Michael Mass is. I know it's some sort of religious festival. It's some you know, festival, just holiday. But you know, I'm I'm no, I'm no Christian. What do I know? Michael Mass definition, and it's fun. And here's what's fun, guys. My name's Michael. It's fun. It's the Feast of St. Michael, September 29th. That's when it happens. Michael Mass came and passed, and Jude and his wife, who had lived but a short time in her father's house after their remarriage, were in lodgings on the top floor of a dwelling nearer to the center of the city. He had done a few days' work during the two or three months since the event, but his health had been indifferent, and it was now precarious. He was sitting in an armchair before the fire and coughed a good deal. "'I've got a bargain from my trouble in marrying thee over again,' Arabella was saying to him. "'I shall have to keep ye entirely. That's what twill come to. I shall have to make black pot and sausages and hawk em about the street, all to support an invalid husband I'd no business to be saddled with at all. Why didn't you keep your health, deceiving one like this? You were well enough when the wedding was.' "'Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Arabella, true to form as always.' What are you doing getting sick when I've married you, <laughs> you fucking dick? What are you doing? You were well enough when we got married. Now your health is indifferent sitting around the fire coughing and me having to go out in the streets and hawk sausages. That's what it'll come to, won't it? Damn you, folly. Damn you straight to hell. <laughs> you know, and all of us, of course, listeners, were delighted at this turn of events. You know, Jude Jude had suffered some pneumonia or something when he was with Sue. He'd gotten better, but his health had been a little bit precarious. And now, you know, he's got nothing to live for. His health has taken a turn for the worse. Ah, yes, said he, laughing acridly. Oh, let me see if I can laugh accurately. <laughs> yes, that's not really good. That was terrible. How would Daniel D. Lewis do it? That's really the question. Ah, yes, said he, laughing acridly. <laughs> I have been thinking of my foolish feeling about the pig you and oh, I, I mentioned. I mentioned the pig before about the pig you and I killed during our first marriage. I feel now that the greatest mercy that could be vouchsafed to me would be that something should serve me as I served that animal. <laughs> so, they're, I mean, you know, they're right back where they were, as we knew would happen. But uh, Jude, feeling ill, sitting by the fire, is saying, I wish somebody would take a knife to my throat, <laughs> which, you know, 
I get that the honeymoon period may not uh, last forever, but you'd think it'd last a little bit longer than two or three months since, as they say, the event. This was the sort of discourse that went on between them every day now. The landlord of the lodging, who had heard that they were a queer couple, had doubted if they were married at all, especially as he had seen Arabella kiss Jude one evening when she had taken a little cordial, and he was about to give them notice to quit till by chance, overhearing her one night haranguing Jude in rattling terms and ultimately flinging a shoe at his head, he recognized the note of genuine wedlock and concluding that they must be respectable, said no more. So he grew suspicious when a tipsy Arabella had kissed Jude. Oh, they can't be married at all. Look at them. She seems to like him. But then once she, once he heard her throwing a shoe at his head, he realized, oh yeah, they're, they're, they're clearly a couple, a married couple. After all, Thomas Hardy throughout this book, you know, is, is just, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying anything you don't know already, but as harsh as his opinions seem to be about so many aspects of the society in which he lives, it is marriage to which he seems most peeved. He really hates marriage. I mean, I guess his own marriage may be a reflection of that. It would be interesting to know a little bit more about Thomas Hardy's own marriage. But let us assume it was not gleeful. Can we make that assumption? I mean, who writes about marriage like this? Outside of outside of the funny pages, because, you know, the Lockhorns, that's like that little paragraph there is kind of like a Lockhorns cartoon strip where Mr. and Mrs. Lockhorn are always going at it. And uh, but we know deep down, of course, that they love each other. In this case, they definitely do not. Jude did not get any better. And one day he requested Arabella with considerable hesitation to execute a commission for him. She asked him indifferently what it was. To write to Sue. What in the name? What in the name do you want me to write to her for? To ask her how she is and if she'll come see me because I'm ill and should like to see her once again. It is like you to insult a lawful wife by asking such a thing. It is just in order not to insult you that I ask you to do it. You know I love Sue. I don't wish to mince the matter. There stands the fact. I love her. I could find a dozen ways of sending a letter to her without your knowledge, but I wish to be quite above board with you and with her husband. A message through you asking her to come is at least free from any odor of intrigue. If she retains any of her old nature at all, she'll come. You have no respect for marriage, whatever. <laughs> or its rights and duties. <laughs> oh, she's just got to be the worst to live with. Just the absolute 
worst. I get why she would be uh, not thrilled with this request. Even so, why does, you know, just he's sick. He seems to be dying. He is in ill health. He is fading. She is pissed because she trapped a sick man into marriage. What does it matter what my opinions are? A wretch like me, can it matter to anybody in the world who comes to see me for half an hour here with one foot in the grave? Come, please, write, Arabella, he pleaded. Repay my candor by a little generosity. I should think not. Not just once. Oh, do. He felt that his physical weakness had taken away all his dignity. What do you want her to know how you are for? She don't want to see ye. She's the rat that forsook the sinking ship. Don't. Don't. And I stuck to in the more fool I have that strumpet in the house indeed. Almost as soon as the words were spoken, Jude sprang from the chair and before Arabella knew where she was, he had her on her back upon a little couch which stood there, he kneeling above her. Say another word of that sort, he whispered, and I'll kill you. Here and now, I've everything to gain by it my own death not being the least part. So don't think there's no meaning in what I say. Well, well, Mr. Jude Folly, one foot half in the grave, somehow manages to spring from his seat and knock her onto the couch, kneeling above her, practically a stiletto in his hand, threatening her life. Don't say another word about her, he says, or I will kill you here and now, and it would do me a favor because it would hasten my own death. And we believe him, don't we? We actually believe that he would do that. How does she reply? What do you want me to do? Gasped Arabella. <laughs> Somebody has finally taken the back of the hand to Arabella. Look, this is not in support of any of spousal abuse, of course. I mean, metaphorically. You know, he knocked her onto the couch. Uh, you know, okay. But who among us listening isn't cheering for that outcome? Promise never to speak of her. Very well, I do. I take your word, he said scornfully as he loosened her. But what it is worth... I can't say. You couldn't kill the pig, but you could kill me. Ah, there you have me. No, I couldn't kill you, even in a passion. Taunt away. He then began coughing very much, and she estimated his life with an appraiser's eye as he sank back, ghastly pale. I'll send for her. Arabella murmured, if you'll agree to my being in the room with you all the time she's here. And I'll end there. So Jude's old passions awakened once more, briefly, briefly, as his candlelight flickers. 
We see her by candlelight and she doesn't look so bad. We see him by candlelight and we see his spirit about to depart his own body. But for a moment, his ire was raised. For a moment, he sprang from his chair and knocked her back. And it was in that moment that Arabella finally, finally acceded to a wish of his. It's what Arabella kind of wanted all along. I don't, you know, I, I mean, psychologically speaking, she wants to be put in her place at times. You know, you think it would be a turn on for her. But look, there's no mistake in who wants to be in charge. It's Arabella. But I think there are times when she rather likes being roughed up a bit. And I, I, I mean that in the kind of emotional sense, psychological sense. And who knows? Maybe we could see her wanting to be tied up, too, as a, in a, as a kind of fetishy thing. Although, in fairness, we know that she's going to be the dom and Jude is always going to be the sub. I think I'm using those terms correctly. I am uh, not as familiar with the BDSM world as I might be. Uh, and perhaps... As I might even like to be. I don't know. I've never I've never entered that territory before. So I don't know. I'm trying to think what I would prefer, sub or dom. I, th- I feel like I could do a little bit of each, you know? I could crack a whip, but I wouldn't mind having the whip cracked a little bit either. But then you get into this whole thing where you get your, uh, your dominatrix going, lick my shoes. I don't think I'd like to lick somebody's shoes. Or let me use your mouth as an ashtray. I feel like we're getting a little bit off topic here. Just a little bit off topic here as we conclude. But there is a sadomasochistic quality to their relationship. In fact, that's all it is. All it is is sadomasochism or maybe just sadosadism. I don't know what you would call it. Uh, They hate each other. They despise each other. But as I've said before, Arabella draws sustenance from her hate. So for for her, this is a good relationship, although she sees it slipping away because fucking Jude is dying. And that sucks, right? So what does that mean for her? She's going to go have to get a job. She doesn't want to get a job. She wants to be taken care of in splendor, in the splendor of top floor lodgings in some shitty neighborhood and wherever they're living. But say la vie. All right. We've had a great time. We have seen some passions flare. We've seen some passions die. We've seen Jude, one foot in the grave, making a final stand and a final request to see Sue before the shroud is lowered. What's going to happen? Will Sue come? Of course she will. Will Jude die? Probably. But the nature of their meeting remains a mystery. Find out what they say to each other. Find out whether Sue confesses her love once more to Jude before he breathes his final breath. On the next curious episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. 
Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. For more information on Obscure, visit our show page at Earwolf.com. And be sure to subscribe to Obscure in your favorite podcast app like Stitcher or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And you can talk to us at Obscure with Michael Ian Black at gmail.com. If you like what you've heard, please write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't, why did you make it all the way to the credits? Obscure is produced by Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn, who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by Craig Wedgren. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor from the wilds of Connecticut. I'm Michael Ian Black.